As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 10th episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Today, we have another author interview for you, this time Marie Bostwick, author of the Cobbled Court Quilt series. She has a new book titled From Here to Home, which comes out next month and is part of her Too Much Texas series. Along with talking about her books, uh, Marie also discusses how she became a writer and offers some really, really fantastic tips for our listeners out there who are interested in the publishing process and um, becoming a writer. As always, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at Overdrive Libs on Facebook at Overdrive for Libraries, and by email at feedback at overdrive.com. Adam and I have gotten some wonderful emails so far. We read all of them, and soon we'll be reading a few in a future episode because they are just too good to not share. Next week, we have a special episode which is tied to this year's Big Library Read title, so be sure to come back and listen and check out biglibraryread.com for more. So with that, enjoy this week's interview with Marie Boswick. Hi everyone, this is Adam from Team Overdrive, and today I am joined by Marie Boswick, a author who I'm very excited to chat with. Marie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Adam. Thanks for asking. How are you? I am doing fantastic as well. You know, can't complain. We're recording this on a Friday, so you know, nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. <laughs> So I do just kind of want to jump right into your story. Uh, we'll get to one of your, your newest books, uh, From Here to Home, which is available for pre-order for our librarians in Overdrive Marketplace. But your story about becoming an author is really fascinating to me. I know you've always done writing, but you haven't always considered yourself a quote-unquote writer as your profession. So can you share with our listeners how you got your start in writing as a full-time job? Sure. Well, it, it actually, you know, like you said, I always wrote, um, and I think that's the way for a lot of writers. Pretty much as soon as I could hold a pencil, I was writing things. But I wrote for myself. Um, I went through a lot of phases of writing, you know, in different parts of my life. I'd go through poetry phases, and and uh, I, I when I had kids, I went through a long sort of Irma Bombeck phase, you know. I wrote humorous essays about my kids, but they were for me, and I never showed them to anyone. Um, it was just, I would have, I would have written if you'd, as long as I had a piece of paper and a, a pencil, I mean, if you take me up in a cardboard box, I still would have written. That's just who I am. Sure. But I didn't think about it as a profession at all. Um, until, oh gosh, it's been now about, well, it's been more than 20 years. Um, 
I was off on kind of a vacation with some girlfriends, and uh, there was a lot of physical activity involved. Uh, There were a lot of exercise classes and things, and that's not really my strong suit necessarily. (laughs) Uh, So there was at this place a writer's workshop. And I sort of wandered into it almost by accident, thinking, you know, well, that will be fun, and there will be no sweating involved. (laughs) So uh, I came into this thing, and I thought there would maybe just be, you know, a half a dozen people when there was about 40. I was very intimidated by that, because I thought, well, what if they want you to read out loud? And I didn't want to do that in front of people, because I used to be shy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've gotten over it. (laughs) But back then, that was a terrifying idea. And... You know, most writers have lots of voices in their heads, and a lot of people have this one. My mother's voice continues in my head always. And my mother's voice came in my head and said, well, what do you care? We'll never see these people again. And so I decided to stay. Um, and I'd never been in this kind of a situation. I didn't, you know, at that point, I didn't even really understand the, well, I understood the difference between first person and third person, but I didn't know there were really words for this. I'd been a tremendous, um, reader, a voracious reader and writer, but I didn't have the vocabulary, the education. Mm-hmm. So there were writing prompts, and every day this little workshop met for two hours a day for a week. And after about the third or fourth day, I got, I did get brave because I'd been listening to everybody, and I thought, well, my stuff is okay, and I read out loud. And I read a little every day after that. And at the last day of the class, the, um, the, the person who was facilitating it came over and said, I need to talk to you after class. And at which point I thought, well, this is just like high school. I was going to end up, you know, clapping a racer somewhere. <laughs> uh, but he pulled me aside and, and said, so you're a writer. What have you published? I have to tell you, Adam, that just floored me. And I thought, you know, I didn't know what this guy was talking about. But um, long story short, that gentleman just urged me that I had to be a writer, a real writer, the kind that seeks someday being published. Uh he wanted me to go back to graduate school. Well, I had three little kids, and that wasn't an option. And at that time, I was living in Mexico, so it really was, would have been impossible. And he wanted me to go to writing workshops and all these things, but just didn't fit with where I was with my marriage and my family situation. And so um, that gentleman became my mentor. His name is David Malofsky, and at that time, he was the director of the graduate writing program at Colorado State University. And I basically kind of studied with him through the mail for three years. Uh, I wrote a short story for him every month for about three years. And he would, I would mail it off to him and he would provide his comments and I would, you know, have another go the next month. And after that period of time, um, you know, I, there's, there's just so much you can learn from that kind of a system, but I learned a lot and I'm very grateful to him for his, you know, his patience and, I guess for recognizing that I had something. Uh, but after that, that time I, I kept writing a short story that got longer and longer and longer. And in fact, that did end up being my first book, Fields of Gold. And I just want to say, I'm totally stealing from you the idea of going on vacation and, and doing writing prompts because I think a lot of people, when you go on a vacation, you obviously think, I'm going to relax and I'm going to shut my brain off. And I, someone who enjoys writing that, doesn't mean you have to stop writing when you go on a vacation. And I really love that idea of you know, people who spend all day writing, whether it's for a company or doing copy for websites, or even if it's just for their own good. If you go on a vacation and you take something that you're actually going to enjoy writing, you're going to end up doing it 
you know, maybe even more often than you thought. So I just want to say I'm 100% stealing that idea. Next time my wife and I go on a vacation, I'm going to bring some writing prompts and, and see where that takes me. So thank you for that. Well, you know, and you, you said something really interesting just then. You said you think of going on a vacation and turning your brain off. I think going on a vacation is a chance to turn our brain on. I love that. To a different kind of area that we don't always let it go to. It's a chance to turn our imaginations back on and to relax and to think about that stuff that I think is more core to our being sometimes than our jobs necessarily. Um, you know, that's when we really can, in a way, let our minds play. And I think when we do that, that's when our most creative selves come forth. And I have to tell you, I still do this. I just went on an 11-day cruise with my husband, which was fabulous, but I chose it specifically because it was a transatlantic cruise, and there were eight days at sea, and I wrote every single morning and had a really productive time. Um, and in the afternoon, I had a wonderful time doing the other activities, but there's, you know, writing is a joy for me, so bringing your writing along on vacation makes perfect sense. I, I completely agree. I, writing is one of those unique jobs where you can, you know, write the things you have to write, but you can, you can do it for pleasure as well. So mentioning your, your yeah. traveling, um, I know that you, not only do you, you travel a lot, but you've also lived in a number of different places. And yeah. there are a number of writers who I think of that tend to stick with the settings that they're familiar with. They keep that as a background throughout all of their titles. You know, people like Stephen King, uh, Nicholas Sparks come to mind. You, however, seemingly have lived in every corner of the country. Um, <laughs> so does this knowledge of so many different parts of the U.S. play into your stories and the settings that you decide to choose? That's exactly why. Um, I really, I think people who've read my work know that one of the things I am known for is when I write, there's always a strong sense of place. And it is always my aim that the location itself is almost a character in the book, um, that it helps drive, you know, the personalities and the things that happen and the kind of people that are drawn there. And I really want the readers to be able to walk down that street in their minds and see what my characters are seeing and smell the smells and feel that feeling. And I, I, I'm really seeking to create a, a full sensory experience for my readers. Um, and yes, it's a big advantage having lived all the places I've lived because I can write about a number of different settings with real authenticity and honesty. And, and I, I really want that to come through the book. So that's such, been such a big plus for me. Okay. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but I know that your most recent title from here to home is uh, centered in Texas. But I also know that yeah. you are currently residing in the Northwest. And again, you've been all over the country. So not to put you yeah. on the spot, but do you have a favorite place in the country, whether it's for living or for writing about, do you have one place that maybe is kind of a special home in your heart? You know, I really think having lived in so many different places that at the end of the day, what makes a place is the people you meet. And I've been really fortunate that everywhere I've been, I've met really, really wonderful people. And so that's been tremendous. And you're right. I do, um, I am in the process of moving to back to Oregon, which is my native uh, state full time and, and we're going to be moving here sometime in 2016. We're in transition. But I have to say, putting myself on the spot, it's very strange 
when I got to Connecticut, I felt a connection with it that I just hadn't felt with a lot of places. And, you know, we ended up living in Connecticut for, I think it was 16 years, which is longer than I've lived anywhere. And um, something about... I don't know. I, I, maybe it's the there's four seasons or the architecture or it's it's just has a uniqueness that I really love. So I don't know that it's my favorite. I, I don't know. I don't know if I have favorites exactly, but I did feel such a an, an unusual and immediate connection with New England that surprised me. And I think I'm always going to love it, even though it's time for me to go back home to Oregon. That's a totally acceptable answer. I will, I will allow you to use that <laughs> as <laughs> your you. answer. All right. So another thing that, and I'm going to use an awful pun here, but quilting is something that's very much woven into a number of your books. And I'm not going to apologize for that. Um, I don't think you should. As we say in our family, oh, the pun, it burns. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I know that it's something you've that's always been a love of yours. But how did you get started quilting or Maybe rather, do you remember a story of the oh, yeah. first time that you put well, a quilt I, you together? You know, I actually grew up sewing from the time I was a really little girl. Um, I am old enough that, believe it or not, back in the day, it actually paid to sew your own clothes. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and it's funny, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm actually considering going back to garment sewing again in the next couple of years, but... That's a different subject. Uh, but I grew up doing garment sewing, and, and when I got married, I, I sewed curtains because I couldn't afford to buy them, you know, young couples starting out. Um, so, so sewing was something that was pretty just natural to me from the time I was probably as little as six years old. Um, but when I was a young mother with my first two children, we were living in Texas, and I remember going by, I was in some kind of strip mall somewhere in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I don't remember exactly where. And I walked by this quilt shop. And I saw these quilts in the window, and I just thought, oh, well, I could do that, and that would be fun. And so I signed up for a uh, for a class, and I learned, and it's funny, I still have that piece. It was my first quilted piece, and it was also my first, what we refer to in quilting as UFO which stands for unfinished object. I never did finish that table runner. But I did learn the basics of quilting and hand quilting from that piece. And, you know, early on, my kids were little, and I was really busy, and I didn't have as much time to do quilting then as I do now, but I really fell in love with it right away. There's just something very satisfying about making something that's useful, but it's also a, a work of art in a way, and a way to express yourself. And I, I think people are looking for that always. I love that answer. That I think the idea of having something that you've made with your own hands, and especially when it comes to things like quilts, you know, if you, some of our favorite times as, as readers are being able to kind of sit in your reading nook and have a warm cup of coffee or tea and relaxing with a good book. And I think adding a layer, quite literally, of a quilt that you put together yourself just sort of adds to the coziness, sort of, especially during yep. these cold months. That's something that it sounds very, very soothing. It is a very appealing way to spend an afternoon. <laughs> so one of the parts of your website that I enjoyed was you have a, a spot specifically for aspiring writers that was on there. Um, but for our yeah. listeners out there, what advice would you offer for anyone hoping to take on writing as a profession? Well, I think the word you just said is profession, and that's an important word. Um, 
I really think that it's very important for writers to do a couple of things. One, if you want to do this as a profession, you need to take yourself very seriously. You, and that, and by taking yourself seriously, I mean, you really need to study the art of writing and you need to work at it and you need to spend time getting to be good at it. You know, even though, uh, that nice gentleman who was teaching the workshop I attended, um, asked me what I had published, that was very kind of him, but I wasn't ready for publication. And in fact, from the time he first said that to when my first book saw publication was almost 10 years. Oh, wow. And in that 10 years, I studied hard. I worked hard. And when I finally had written something that was really worthy of publication, I knew it. Um, so I think that's very important. The other thing, too, is I think it's very important that if you want to have writing be a profession, that you must understand the business of writing. Very often, people just sort of don't study up on that part, too. And you really need to know. You need to, um, you know, read the trade magazines, go to conferences, figure out how all of this works, and that you know how to do it, not that you just rely on other people um, to sort of sort of tell you. That's why I put a lot of different links and books up there so people can have that information and own it for themselves. But I will say one of the things that I think that people do much too often is this is so common, and I get it because, by the way, I did it too. <laughs> so please, you know, I, I'm speaking to myself here. Um, people have a tendency to write three chapters of something and then say, okay, well, yeah, but how will I ever sell this thing? <laughs> Don't worry about that part. Worry about writing a great book. First write a great book and then figure out how to sell it. That's the order that things should go in, at least as far as fiction. And I think something else that's important that aspiring writers be aware of is you have to get used to rejection and not take it personally. Right. I, do right. you do you remember by any chance how many rejection letters that you got before you? Oh, zillions. <laughs> oh, zillions of them. Um, you know, and I actually, I, it's funny, I, I, I have them still. Um, and I just kept them in a file and somebody the other day was like, well, that's sad. Why would you just hang on to that? I was like, no, because you know, it, it makes having endured that and now knowing a certain degree of its success, it just makes it that much better. Um, and I do think you just have to count on being rejected and it, the fact that someone doesn't like your book just means that that someone doesn't like your book. It's really a matter of finding the right person at the right moment. And there is a certain amount of luck that goes to this. You know, it, a lot of it is timing, but you just have to keep on. On the other hand, there is, and, and anybody who, who's written for very long understands this, there is such a thing as a good rejection. Um, when somebody writes you a rejection letter and a real one where they actually may say, you know, there were things I really liked about this, but it's not for me. And they give you some suggestions. You should really consider those very seriously, especially if you're getting feedback, the same type of feedback from more than one person. You might want to consider doing a rewrite or working on the structure different or at least at least giving that some very serious consideration. Doesn't mean that they're always right. Um, one rejection letter that I got for my first book was very kind, but wanted me to cut it by a hundred pages, which oh, wow. would have been a mistake. Uh, but I, but I, I stopped and I thought about it very carefully and decided they were wrong. And I'm glad I didn't follow mm -hmm. that advice. But it was good of them to take the time to, you know, really read the book and give me their thoughts. Absolutely. 
So speaking of your books, can you tell us a little bit about your most recent title, From Here to Home, which is going to be out uh, in March, I believe, correct? Yes, March 28th. Uh, well, this is what we're calling a Too Much Texas book, um, <laughs> which is the name of the fictional town I've set it in. I love that. Uh, there's the a story that, yes, there's a story that goes with that, an amusing story of Too Much Texas which is a terrific town which was sort of founded by strong-willed women and continues to be populated by women of that stripe to this day. Um, this is the continuation of a book I wrote earlier called Between Heaven and Texas, but it can really be perfectly well-read as a standalone. Mm -hmm. Even though I write a lot of series, I'm, I always make sure that my reader is never going to feel like they came into the middle of the movie because that irritates me as a reader. So um, this this is a story of a character that, is just one of my favorite characters to write to. Her name is Mary Dell Templeton, and she is this kind of brassy, sassy, true blue Texan that I fell in love with when I, <laughs> when I lived in Texas. So there is a certain brand of strong and fabulous, bigger-than-life Texas women that, you know, they're not everywhere, but they're there, and I just, loved them when I lived in Texas, and she is that kind of a character. Um, she is a very expert quilter. Technically, she's very good. She just has one problem. She has no taste whatsoever, <laughs> poor thing. So <laughs> in her life, the way she really was able to come into her own was she has relied on other people to help her pick her fabrics, and in this case, her son, Donnie, uh, or excuse me, her her son Howard. <laughs> Howard is her grown son who happens to have Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. So as this book opens, um, Mary Dell and Howard actually have had a quilting television show for a long time and have been quite successful. But uh, years have passed and the ratings are starting to slip. And so, and there's also uh, a lot of problems and and really some tragic things that's going on in Mary Dale's own family. Um, and she's the leader of that family. And so she is going to have to face some hard decisions um, as to how to save her show, which is the livelihood that her family and in fact, even her town depend on to some degree. And she's she's got a lot of issues to face. And then at the same time, there's a parallel story of a, a young woman named Holly, and she has come to town uh, to be Mary Dell's co-host on this television show. There's one problem is uh, Holly doesn't actually know anything about quilting. But she's a good girl, and she's ambitious. And together, Mary Dell and Holly are going to create an unlikely pair, but their camaraderie is going to be central to getting to the happy ending of this book. I, so I, that wasn't I, that wasn't a very good elevator pitch. Is that I've never mastered the three sentence. No, I think pitch, that but. that was fantastic. And I just want to say, Mary Dell Templeton might be the most Texan name of all time. That's so. I feel like I almost want to put a twang in it just saying that name. I love it so. Oh, much. Oh, honey, you should put a twang in because <laughs> Mary Dell. I mean, she is a woman who understands. What she's about. I'm I love her. I'm imagining big hair and cowboy boots, maybe like some flannel rolled up to the elbow. Oh, no. Mary Dell likes a little more bling oh, okay. than that. Um, <laughs> Mary Dell is very crow-like in her, her, uh, in her appreciation of sparkly objects. I can appreciate that as well. I love that. <laughs> so given that Overdrive is a library company, I, I ask all of the, the people that I interview I have to know what is either your favorite or your first memory of being in a library. 
Well, I actually have a great story about my earliest memories. And I don't know if it's my very earliest, but it's certainly one of my earliest memories. Um, libraries played a huge part in my education. You know, I, I came from a, a family. My mom was a, a single mom. Uh, well, she, my parents divorced when I was very young, and so my mom was raising four daughters alone. So buying books was not something we could have afforded, and I, and nobody could have afforded to keep up with my voracious appetite for reading. So thank heaven for the library. Um, but this is a really good story. I was, in fact, at least at that time, the youngest person in the Lane County Library in Eugene, Oregon, ever to have her own library card. That now, is this fantastic. Was because back in the day, to have your own card, you had to be able to write your own first and last name so you could check out books. Mm-hmm. So I practiced writing my name very, very diligently um, because I knew that if I had my own library card, the world would be my oyster. I don't know how exactly old I was, but I will tell you I was not five years old. I was a very early reader and a very early writer. And the day I learned to write my own first and last name, my mother came home from work and I nagged her and nagged her and I would not let go until she took me down to the library so I could get my card. And I remember that I, I remember that I checked out Hop on Pop by Dr. Seuss and I was It was one of the happiest days of my life. You have just made a permanent fan. I am well known around this office as a gigantic Dr. Seuss nerd. So that just warms my heart to no end. Um, Who doesn't love Dr. Seuss? Completely agree. So in addition to Dr. Seuss, what were some of the authors and books that young toddler and then adolescent Marie was reading when you were at the library? Oh, I read anything I could get my hands on. And as I got older, you know, back in the day, they were kind of, I was forever being um, corralled back to the children's section. Sure. (laughs) I was like trying to sneak out. And of course, you know, like a lot of people, everything, or at least back when in my day when we didn't have health class so much, everything I knew about sex, I learned at the library Mm -hmm. too, by sneaking over into the adult (laughs) section, into the books I wasn't supposed to read. But, you know. It was informative at the time. Um, I loved all of the Laura Ingalls Wilde. I mean, the Little House books were just books that I read over and over again. And in fact, I now own the complete uh, the complete set myself. And I I pick a Saturday one day every year where I read all of the Little House books from the beginning to the end. That is awesome. Something about the the clean way she told the narrative was very appealing to me. And I and I really loved that Laura wasn't perfect, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I identified with her so much as a little girl because she wanted to do well and she was trying to do the right thing, but she didn't always quite manage it, at least not in her heart. So I liked mm-hmm. that very much. Um, oh, gosh. One of the books I read over and over again was My Side of the Mountain. I just had this fantasy, you know, Mm -hmm. that I, too, would go off into the wild and find a tree to live in. Of course. A lot of books like that, adventure books. Um, uh, I wasn't ever so much into sci-fi types of things, but a lot of things that have, like, you know, more of a Western theme. Mm -hmm. And there's a book, and I don't remember who wrote it, but I read it, I think, and I can't quite I'm going to get the name wrong, I think, but I think it was called The Endless Step. Okay. And it was about a girl who had, her family had been transported to Siberia and how they, 
how they survived all of this. I read that book so many times. I was so fascinated by that world. Um, and I read the diary of Anne Frank over and over sure. again. And, and it, it kind of fueled an ongoing fascination I had with that period of World War II and mm-hmm. how the Holocaust could have happened. I still never come up with an answer, mm-hmm. but it was something that, you know, I sought out those kinds of books when I was a little girl, trying to make sense of that time. And then now that you're all grown up, on every episode of our Professional Book Nerds podcast, we like to give out book recommendations for our listeners. So other than your books, of course, what are some of the books that you would recommend or maybe some of the authors that you're a fan of uh, now that you're an adult reader? Well, now that I'm an adult, you know, um, I love just about everything that Edith Wharton ever wrote. Sure. Um, I think one book that gets overlooked by her is Custom of the Country. It's a, it's really, it's a wonderful book, but it's a funny book. It I mean, Edith Wharton had such a humor about her that I don't know that everybody always picks up on. Uh, but I love that book and I've read it several times. Um, another book that I recommend a lot, and this is what librarians are going to know this, but it's shocking to me how many kind of walking around people have not, um, read A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And I just love that book. That's a book I, I probably read every couple of years. Uh, another book I love is The Group by Mary McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Just fabulous. So those are three. And a book, you know, recently, this is a big one, and everybody's got this on the shelf. I just loved Kristen Hanna's uh, newest, The Nightingale. Mm-hmm. I, that, was, that was a page-turner for me. It was just, it was just a great story. And it, it pulled me in right away. So those are some of my recommendations. Those are fantastic. Okay, speaking of book recommendations, uh, you are a very prolific writer for someone who at first didn't realize they were a writer. Uh, you have a number of different titles published already that we have available in our marketplace. And obviously, we mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, From Here to Home is coming out in March. But which of your books or which of your series would you recommend uh, people who are new to your materials start with? Well, I would I would go with probably one of three. Um, if you're planning on reading From Here to Home and you've got a little time before, Between Heaven and Texas is the first part of Marydale Templeton's story. It's right. actually set 30 years before uh, From Here to Home. And I love that book. And it's just, it's a really enjoyable read. I am enormously proud of the book that I wrote last year, The Second Sister. It's a standalone. It's set in Door County, Wisconsin. You know, I work very hard at what I do, and like every writer, I'm under a deadline. But I got to say, I that's one of those books, when I finished it, I thought I wouldn't change a word. So I, I really love that book. I hope people would read that. That would be a great one. Um, and then another one, book, if you'd like to read my Cobble Court series, there's six in that. And the Cobble Court books are set in, um, in Wisconsin, or excuse me, in Connecticut in a little town called New Bern, which is oddly like the little town I happened to live in for many years. The first book in that series is A Single Thread. And gosh, that book I think is in its 16th or 17th printing now, and people just Love that book. I did it quite a while ago, but I continue to get letters about it every day. And then the last thing that we would love to hear from you is what do you hope readers take away from your books and your stories? Oh, you know, when I begin writing a book, I really am just hoping that this sounds so silly and so simple, but life is so busy and people are so distracted and everybody has a lot more worries than we realize. 
to be able to sit for a few hours and give someone the pleasure of just escaping to another world to, to entertain them for a while, that is not a small thing. And when I do that, I've done my job. Um, the other thing I really want to give people is a sense that the world is filled with hope. You know, every once in a while I've gotten slammed because, uh, because my books end happily. Mm-hmm. Well, they do. I'm always going to have a happy ending to my books because my motto is life is hard and fiction doesn't have to be. So that's what I want to give people a few hours of escape, a sense of hope that the world is good and that they are good in it. That's it. That is incredibly well said. For our library partners, uh, Marie Boswick's titles are all available in Overdrive Marketplace. You can go and add them to your collection today and you can also pre-order from here to home and put that in your collection for your users to jump on the holes list for. And for our readers, you can go and discover any number of Marie's titles, either at your library's Overdrive site or at overdrive.com. Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Adam. This has been fun. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.